It's me, team, the podcast host, speaking to you inside your brain. Leave the book. We don't need it. We'll talk of Bridgman on the plains. Come with me. We've read the... made me view it covering the way of kings by brandon sanderson um couple of bits of business before we get to the episode proper thanks to our rating competition back in september <laughs> back in september emily took me out to fancy dinner it was delightful mm-hmm. also piece of cosmere news uh so Brandon Sanderson dropped kind of a big shocker on the fandom in general this week. I'm not going to tell you what it is if you don't know. It's just there's just too much to talk about, but uh go to his YouTube channel and watch his video about it. I was surprised. <laughs> big... I've been following it very closely. It hasn't been even a whole day and there are already waves yeah Ooh. anyway um hey i think that's enough introduction should we play the podcast honor is dead journey before destination <laughs> today no matter what i do i'll just have to speak calmly is all <laughs> did you put your name in the goblet of fire <laughs> <laughs> hello 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 hi everyone hi. welcome back to my sister made me view it Yay! the way of kate i'm waving you guys can't see me but i'm waving because i've missed you so much <laughs> the wave of kate's question mark <laughs> Listen, you guys are sick of hearing us say this, but it's been so long. So long. Uh, It's August right now, basically September. It's September in like a handful of days. And I started moving apartments in June. We pretty much haven't recorded since I started to move. Okay, that's not true. We haven't recorded Way of Kings. Uh, We have now completely finished our Hill House coverage, which is so exciting. Mm -hmm. And we're... Uh, barreling down the barrel uh, to get to Mob Psycho 100. But today, today, we are finally back in the way of Kings. We are finally getting started on part four, which is a great part of the book. So today we're covering Interlude 7, Baxil, Interlude 8, Jaranid, and Interlude 9, Death Wears White, (laughs) along with with (laughs) Chapter 52, A Highway to the Sun. Uh, Emily, it's been, it's been a space since you have read Any Way of Kings, and how is dipping your toes back into the pure lake? It was wonderful, (laughs) because guys, listen, I can't read ahead. I can't exactly keep reading and then go back and pretend like I haven't read stuff so that we can keep this going. No, I only read what we need to read until we podcast, and then, so I haven't been able to read anything new for like two months, and I'm dying, and... 
But I got my Seth chapter and my Dalinar chapter today, and so I am okay with this. And um, I have so, I took so many notes, you guys. I took like, I probably took two and a half pages of notes in my Spiral Bound notebook, and I am excited to get into it. Oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be great. So um, let's start off with Baxel. Yeah. Oh, really quick. I do have a note. The last time we podcasted, I have it in my notes, June 18th. <laughs> it was a long time it's ago. August, it's August 28th today. It took forever. So yeah, we're really excited to be back. But listen, this is why, this is why I made sure we had such a long lead before we started posting because I knew times like this would happen yes yes you're very smart now shut up (laughs) (laughs) um so this is our third set of interludes and what the interludes usually do is give us a glimpse of just like a snapshot of someone else's story on Roshar and Emily can you tell us what Baxel and his buddies are doing first of all Megan yes Uh I will but let me get to because I want to talk about You've ruined me. You've made me not paranoid. That's the wrong word. I'm going to say observant, but with like a sneer attached to it. The symbol for the oh. for the interludes um, are uh-huh. ten white dots. Four on one side, four on the other, and two in the middle. And they all look like they're intersecting. What does it mean? What is this a symbol of? So I am looking at a slightly different version of the book this week uh, because one of my friends was helping me move and I was telling her about how much I love The Way of Kings and she's like, oh, I've never read it. That sounds good. And so I just gave her the copy I was using to podcast with Emily. So I am now using my fancy uh, leather bound two volume version of The Way of Kings. Uh, that I got with the Kickstarter, hooray. So my chapter headings are all slightly different. It is an updated, Emily, I know what symbol you're talking about. It is an updated version of that symbol, oh. but I don't want to show it to you because of reasons. Okay. There's a little more, there's a little more in it. But I do have a pretty great illustration here for the end of part three that I'd like you to look at. I'm going to hold it up to the camera. Hold on. That is Shalon. Oh, drawing the king of Yakovet. Not Yakovet. Carl Brandt. Carl Brandt. Yeah. Hey, hey, Emily, what's behind him? Oh, the symbol heads. Yeah. <gasps> ah, the empty doorway. Ooh, I don't like it. Ooh. Oh, I scared my dog. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's so mad at me right now because we didn't go on a W-A-L-K yesterday. And he is salty as all get out about it. And... Mm. That's why after we podcast, I'm taking him for one. So yeah, the leather bounds are so gorgeous. Here, Emily, here's another great picture. Ooh, oh, that's the lesson. Yeah, it's a painting of the lesson. And here's another curious picture. <gasps> Is that the the face in the sky that Kaladin sees? Yeah, <gasps> guys, I'm learning this book. <laughs> this is so cool. Oh my Who's gosh, the artist? I don't know all. Of, I don't know all of the artists. They are listed. I think they're listed in the other volume. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, don't, hey, y'all, if you haven't read The Way of Kings, don't pick up a leather-bound copy <laughs> until you've read it, because there's a lot of great, beautiful spoilers in the pictures. But I'm so excited to, you know, be getting use out of this book instead of having it just sit pretty on my bookshelf. But anyway. <laughs> okay, interludes. To the interludes, yeah. Baxel. So we start off with Baxel and Av, or Av, A-V, they are following their mistress into kind of the heart of this person's home, this grand, grand home, and turns out they are not art thieves, they are art destroyers. And they are following this woman who, they kind of make it sound like they would do anything for this woman, like, almost like she has some sort of spell on them. And I was a little cynical, I was like, is this real spell casting slash magic, or is this just... She's super sexy and beautiful. Therefore, we're going to follow her around with our eyes bugging out and our tongues on the ground. Anything for you means everything to me. I think it's the second one of it. (laughs) Ooga, ooga. (laughs) Just so you know, Emily, I am eating, but when I eat, I hit the mute button on my microphone, so you're not going to have noise of me eating my noodles. Thank you. It's very difficult. You guys, if you've never tried to edit a podcast with someone going, you you don't know what you're missing. But yeah, um, this woman, this is not the first time she's done this. They just kind of make it sound like it's old hat. And this Baxel guy is nervous because he's looking around for any of the servants who might be home or something like that. And But this is obviously something that they have all done before. And... We're introduced to the idea of another deity, I guess. Prime Cadaxis, Cadaxix, I don't know how you say it. But, okay, I had a question, hold on. Okay, so this woman is about to go full-on Elizabeth Stewart Garden Museum sort of a thing. <laughs> uh, she said, he says, Baxel watched uncomfortable. This was the hallowed hall, the place where a wealthy man placed images of his six for reverence. Does that mean everyone has a different one? Like, is this a pantheon of gods? Or do you just decide this is what's holy for me? And you go pay you know, reverence to it? I'm not sure. It doesn't go much beyond that. Like, it doesn't. In this chapter, it but, doesn't. Um, it talks about, uh, it says, the mistress walked up to the first piece of art. The painting depicted Epan. Lady of Dreams, it was beautiful, a masterpiece of gold leaf on black canvas. The mistress took a knife from her bundle and slashed the painting down the front. Like, she's not even stealing it. She's destroying it. She's smashing up vases and taking statues down with mallets. Like, what is she doing? So, a couple, couple more things I want to point out before we dive into what is what is this lady doing. Mm-hmm. The palace they're in belongs to Ashno of Sages, who is one of the richest and holiest men in all of Emul. Hey, Emily, where's Emul on the map? Dang it all, babe. I don't know. Hold on. Gosh. Emul. E-M-U-L. Let's see. We have Shinovar, Iri, Kassator, Ral, Elorum, Risa, Kurth, the Reshi Islands... Uh, I can't help you. This is volume two. No! And it has a different map in the front. What if I can't find it? Oh, I found it. Okay. (laughs) 
Can you tell me where it is? So if you look down the center, it's slightly to the left. It's right above of the Pure Lake. So it's below the Pure Lake. It's below to the below the Pure Lake. Yeah, just like it's it's basically kind of center with the Pure Lake. Yeah, but down down further into the left, it borders okay. Azir, Tashik, Tashik, Tukar, and Marat. All right. So it appears that. Baxel is either from Emul or he has the same religion because he privately swears, you know, to the prime Cadassics in his head. Mm-hmm. So my guess would be, without any other context, is that yes, there is a there is a pantheon, and then you would select like the gods of the pantheon that are the most um, meaningful to you. Mm-hmm. Would just you know this would be a guess. But she doesn't take out all the paintings. She just took out the Lady of Dreams painting. Mm-hmm. So she's not she's not destroying absolutely everything in sight. She's only taking out select pieces. Uh, how do you think she decides which ones to take out? I don't know if they because we don't know what what the names of anything else is. Um, mm-hmm. we know that she destroys a painting, she gouges out the eyes of a bust, she wraps up a vase in a cloth and shatters that, and then takes a, uh, takes a mallet to a statue, but, like, we don't know the names of anything else. And, mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. can't imagine it's random, but I don't know who this crazy lady is. Well, maybe she's trying to destroy, <laughs> maybe she's trying to destroy like a specific religion pant like deity i don't know that would be my best guess that's a pretty good guess um and she doesn't have her she doesn't have her assistants assist in the actual destruction they're like there to carry her tools Mm -hmm. like she very personally goes to destroy each very specific thing herself so they have time to sit around and chat what are we talking about? Oh, really quick. Uh, she does. It doesn't say if she has a safe hand either. So I don't. So that tradition isn't all the way down to where they are either. But they are talking about the old magic, which, oh, this was a really cool introduction because apparently there is someone you can go see. Do they name who it is? An, the Night Watcher. The Night Watcher. So you go to the Night Watcher and you ask a boon and you get it. I'm assuming 100% of the time if you can find her. But you also get a curse to go with it. It's like that meme where it's like push the button if you want this. But this will also happen. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so some of these are. (laughs) Some of these are so creepy. Like Avisane. Oh Yeah. I like all my family has gone, but I would never ever go. And they're saying that everyone has regretted what they have asked because the curse usually outweighs what you ask for, except, uh, oh, it said a few got what they wanted. So maybe it's not a, maybe it's not you get it every single time. Um, except his father, he says he got some really good cloth that saved their family from starving a few years back because he sold it for um, a lot of money. But his curse was that he saw the world upside down for the rest of his life. I want to rewind just a little bit because um, at first this sounds like a a genie request. And I'm sure we've all like tried to think what is the perfect wording of my genie wish so that the genie doesn't, you know, do whatever. And Aph points out in the, in the chapter that it doesn't work that way. 
It's not a game, no matter how the stories try to put it. The Night Watcher doesn't trick you or twist your words. You ask a boon, she gives what she feels you deserve, then gives you a curse to go along with it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes related, sometimes not. Yeah. Like, uh, Av was also talking about his brother, that his brother went, and uh, he came back with two numb hands. He could never feel anything in his hands again. And they're like, what What was his boon? And he's like, he never said. Like, ooh, like, what? I'm trying to think, like, what would be worth it? What would you want so bad that you would be willing to be, like, physically maimed or changed for? And I don't know. Because, like, I think, like, knee-jerk reaction would be like, oh, to be rich or whatever. But I, I, I don't know that I'd want to trade something like that about my body to get money. Like, that's not, I'm trying to think what, maybe a cure for some disease, I'd maybe be willing for that for me or somebody else, but I'm trying to think, like, what would I want? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that there would be much that I would want to wish for to risk that, you know? Do you know what you wish? Are you certain what you wish is what you want? See, I don't Everybody know. Everybody go watch Into the Woods. <laughs> Have Not you ever had... the Disney movie. <laughs> the recording of the stage show. No, come on. Chris Pine singing Agony is uh, pretty great. It, it is great. It is great. But there's just... A lot of the jokes work so much better on stage than they do on film. Would there be something that you would want to wish for that you would be willing to risk? Um, I have my genie wish mm-hmm. that I've thought of. Uh, so, as has been stated once or twice on this podcast, I used to work in a pretty large library. And I would walk up and down the shelves. Because um, that's one of the things you would do is you would walk the shelves, look for trash, look for things out of place. And I'd run my finger along the spines of the books as I did. Because I'm like, someday I'm going to wish that I would have the perfect knowledge and recall of any information in any book I've ever touched. There you go. And... That would probably be my my wish, um, but I know like a genie wish would like literally turn me into a computer or <laughs> something like that. I don't think because it 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 seems like the people who go to the Night Watcher from the examples we have of this father who's trying to save his family from a famine, and then this brother who had something so personal he never told anyone what it was mm-hmm. that it would have to be a very deep emotional need mm-hmm. before you went to the night watcher yeah like yeah. i don't i don't think this is just man do you know what i would like i'm bored <laughs> yeah but it's more like hey i need to save my family from starvation yeah and i just i'm not at an emotionally desperate enough state for anything i can think of to use magic to ask for it mm-hmm. smart yeah, I like as a kid, I grew up like reading fairy tales and stuff, and I, I kind of hate the the new trend that that goes in like the be careful what you wish for. Like I'm like, can't just people wish for things and have wish fulfillment just one time? Like, okay, the old movie, the old musical, it's like from the sixties or seventies, The Slipper in the Rose. It is yeah. purely wish fulfillment. Like the prince is so handsome, but he's so frustrating Um, and stupid i do not agree with you that richard chamberlain is that handsome i think he is oh my 
goodness. Okay. Sorry. Anyways, you keep going. So Cinderella, yes, she works hard, but her fairy godmother does come and fixes everything all the time, which is great. I have no problem with that. My problem comes when the prince... Oh, hold on. Someone's coming to the door. Who is coming to the door? Oh, maybe it's Amazon. That's probably what it is. <laughs> um, the prince whines the entire time about how much he hates to be a prince and does not want to be royalty. And why can't I be a regular person? And he has no idea how the real world works. And, the, the, you know, he's always trying to get his his manservant to go marry the woman that he loves. But he's like, no, my position in life is such that, like, I can't. Like, like the prince understands nothing of this. He's so... I say whiny and he's, I think he's filmed to be like this. He's the prince. He's the catch. He's all of these things. And poor Cinderella is the best actress and she is fabulous. And like I was saying, the fairy godmother does come in and grant her wishes after she's proven that she's a good person, that she deserves these things. Um, But the thing that kills me at the end is, um, and maybe we've talked about, I swear, maybe we've talked about Slipper on the Rose in one of our podcasts, but... They spend months trying to find this person, finally find her. He brings her to the court. The king and queen realize this girl is not a princess. And so that night, the chamberlain is sent to basically deal with her and explains, like, listen, we're a tiny kingdom. We cannot protect ourselves. We have to marry, like, for power. And if we marry you, we snub everyone else. And she has this song because she gets it. She totally gets it. It doesn't Mm -hmm. feel like she's like, oh, okay, I'll just leave. She realizes that she has to leave to save the kingdom. And she sings this beautiful song about like, tell him I tricked him. Tell him uh, that I've done this so many times before. Tell him I'm mean and awful and horrible and you're saving him from me. But don't tell him I love him because he will come and find me. And the movie ends with the fairy godmother finding Cinderella, who's been exiled to some beautiful country home, and brings everybody together and makes everything okay with the wave of a wand. I'm like, don't marry this prince! Who's like, I don't want to be a prince. <laughs> I, okay. I there is yeah. a new There's a new animated series coming out. I'm so excited for it. It's called Maya and the Three. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's from the director of the Book of Life. Shout out to Jorge Gutierrez. But it's a princess who doesn't want to be a princess. And I'm like, I love literally everything about this story except that. Where are the stories about princesses who, like, want to rule and, like, want to be good at this? Yeah. Yeah. I have a really hard time of people in power being like, but I don't want to live in a really rich house. And I don't want to. uh, I mean, what what are you going to do instead? like, Like... it's very funny that in a lot of these stories, the only hardship these people can come up with is, I don't get to marry for love. Yeah. When <laughs> all of their suitors are rich and generally good looking, unless it's like a joke that that one dude at the beginning of Aladdin with his hard boxer shorts. <laughs> um, and it's, it's very funny that I'm like, these people have literally zero problems you know, people say money can't buy happiness. That's money not buys true. Some yeah, happiness. Not, yeah. The obscenely rich just don't understand. Oh, it get, it's, listen, it's getting away from here a little bit there. But, like, I'm tired of princesses who don't want to be princesses. Mm-hmm. 
I would like more extremely uh, politically competent princesses. Did I ever tell you about my weird sequel idea for Frozen that they would literally have never made in a quadrillion years? No. I mean, you it, might have on a podcast, but you tell me now. <laughs> yeah. It has to do with all the economic ramifications of Frozen 1. <laughs> Where um, the ice guild approaches the palace and they're like, you can't unilaterally decide this random non-guild member is the kingdom's number one ice deliverer. And also, Queen Elsa, since you can just make ice whenever, all of our livelihoods are gone (laughs) because there's no supply and demand chain anymore. And then this lady comes from Wesselton to be like, okay, you're our number one trade partner and you can't just cancel all trade with us because you don't like our duke. Listen, we don't even like our duke. (laughs) But like kingdoms rely upon each other for trade and for business. And then Elsa falls in love with this uh, accountant lady. And then there's a, uh, they start doing this trial and error system, seeing how long Elsa's ice can last away from her and then all of the displaced ice guild guys they become sailors and Arendelle becomes a huge international shipping and trade power because they can create long-lasting ice that they can ship around the world so they can ship the ice itself and then like also the goods that it refrigerates and I was telling this to my roommate and she's like Disney's not gonna make that and I'm like I know <laughs> Listen, if there's one thing we've learned about making a sequel, don't make it about the Trade Federation. Nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wish <Back> fulfillment. To- <laughs> uh, Emily, did I ask you what your wish would be? No, I was trying to think if it was, but like the only reason I could think of like someone was really ill or I needed to save someone's life. Or, you know, I don't know what the limits are. Like, is it like in Aladdin, like, I can't bring people back from the dead, you know, or I don't know. Oh, oh, I know what I was going to talk about. What's about a time? So this <laughs> episode of What's About a Time where we, um, listen, for those of you who haven't watched What's About a Time, it's all on Disney Plus now. And it's great, goofy fun. <laughs> I, I really like watching it. Um, like, <laughs> there are two separate murders for which people are framed that turn out to not be murders at all. Like, it's... <laughs> if I had a nickel for every time, it's weird it's happened twice. Okay. But the genie of the lamp warns everybody that, listen, you can wish, no wishing for more wishes, but I'll warn you that all magic comes with a price and everyone has regretted the wishes that they've made. And the king who's discovered this lamp, played by Roswell star Richard Schiff. <gasps> Yay! <laughs> Um, and the genie is played by Giancarlo Esposito. So we just have these two incredible actors. Who's, who's the other guy been like, in? What's he been in? Oh, uh, have you watched The Mandalorian? Yes. He's the guy with the darksaber coming after. Oh. If you see spoilers Bad, for Spoilers for Mandalorian. Okay, uh, he's, he plays the chicken man in Breaking Bad. <laughs> Yeah, so he plays the he plays the genie once upon a time. And the king is like, well, I just wish for everyone in my kingdom to be happy. And I wish for you to be free. And the genie is like, 
Excuse me? There's three wishes. And the king's like, I'm happy with what I have. <gasps> I give my third wish to you. And the the genie is like, what? And the king's like, come live in my palace. Come be my friend. And the genie's like, ah! Well, spoilers for Once Upon a Time. <laughs> this king is Snow White's father. And he's married to the woman, the woman who is the evil queen. And the evil queen pretty much seduces the genie and she's like oh my husband's awful like he's he's not cruel to me but he just loves everyone the same i'm not special in his eyes and the the genie's like you're hot i mean you're special in my eyes (laughs) and so she tricks the genie into killing her husband with some (gasps) some snakes from the genie's native land and as the king wakes up and he's dying, and you guys know I love Richard Schiff, and just the drama in this moment is impeccable, that the genie's like, I'm doing this because I love your wife more than you ever will. And the king is like, you're right, I never should have made a wish. And it's like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, the reason I'm rewatching all of Once Upon a Time is because Jenny Nicholson is working on a, <laughs> uh, a huge show overview video about it, and I want to rewatch it before she does. Okay, Evelyn, you're going to say really fast. I was going to say really fast about, like, wishes and things like that. I had a friend, and we were talking about... I mean, first of all, the ethics of wishing and, like, affecting other people's lives and choices and stuff like that. You know, like, can't make people fall in love with you, that sort of thing. And she's like, but I just can't shake the feeling that if we wanted to achieve world peace. And I was like, okay. She's like, I know we're getting into a gray area. I'm like, keep going. (laughs) But she's like, I feel that if someone were to wish that everyone in the world for, like, six months, like, for three to six months, would care deeply about improving the space they were in, whether that's your home, whether that's where you work, whatever, that that would go a long ways in helping achieve world peace mm-hmm. about like beautifying where you are, <laughs> improving the community where you are. And she's like, ethically, I know that, you know, it's wrong. You can't like wish for people to be something they're not. But she's like, I just feel like that would solve it. I just think they're neat. (laughs) Well, that was a a merry band of tangents. Yes, but that, Uh, I mean, the whole chapter's like two pages, three pages long. It's very short. We want to make sure you guys get the uh, amount of podcast to which you are accustomed. (laughs) So, hey, Emily, the way that this is dropped in here, do you think we'll ever see any of our characters go to the night watcher i have theories about that i have theories about that we're gonna talk about it in this episode i have two theories Can we talk about it can we talk about it now no we gotta wait till we get to their chapters oh okay so well then i i have a pretty good guess as to which characters you're guessing (laughs) but when we get to that when we get to that moment i would like you to uh guess what each of our leads would ask of the night watcher because i think that would be a fun a fun moment all right so here we go um, inter, interlude eight, Jaranid. This was a delightful chapter. It's about two Ardents. Um, they act like a married couple, but I don't think Ardents can get married. It's a, it's a man and a woman. And the dynamics of their relationship with each other and the relationship they have to the religion is so fascinating. Because as Ardents, a lot of lines are a little blurry 
like uh, females don't have to ha wear their safe hand. Uh, you can eat male or female food. It doesn't have to stick specifically to your gender. Um, and they're posted in uh, Reshi, which is far away. They're basically there just like, hey, if any Vorans show up, we can help with their religious needs. needs. And I'm trying to pull up the map. Uh, Reshi is... A, oh, go ahead. There was a moment in the last podcast episode we released, which I think was our fourth episode. Um, but you mentioned, oh, yeah, an ardent. They're those paid missionary people and i didn't catch you so i hope we talk about it in the no we do that they're and i was very uncomfortable that there were slave missionaries yeah that that i think was in like the following episode but in the one that we just released you're like oh yeah they're the they're the paid church people and i'm like oh you're half right <laughs> um the reshi isles are like the top the top middle of the world and alice cars mm -hmm. like clear off to the east so they're Mm -hmm. So, like, they have missionaries out in the world, even though Vorn is not the uh, worldwide religion. They're, yeah. they're, you know, scattering seeds or whatever. But even though they're so far away, um, they keep the rules very, not rigidly, but they keep the rules. And I really loved, I really loved this line. Um, okay. They both kept to the rules of their stations despite their seclusion. One did not write the ending of a lifetime of faith with a sloppy last chapter. I just really liked that. Just, I don't know, I feel like a lot of stories nowadays are about how terrible everything is. And a lot of it is like losing your faith or losing your spouse or, you know, everybody cheats and nobody stays together, blah, blah, blah. I just liked, I just liked this that like they were true to themselves, but it's tainted a little bit because they're slaves and they're supposed to be, but I don't know. <laughs> when he said losing their faith and losing their spouse, I'm like, so it is about Dalinar. <laughs> <laughs> but I love the idea that they get to work on their own projects away from everybody else. Um, <laughs> I just really liked it. Um, and so the the man is named... Ashir. Thank you. Ashir and the woman is Jaranid. And Ashir is working, he's a cook. That's like his calling. And he's always trying to explore and invent new things. And sometimes they're absolutely horrific. And other times they're pretty, pretty good. And this woman is uh, studying Spren. And she finds something very, very fascinating about them. Go, Megan. I was so relieved to find characters who properly follow scientific methods <laughs> of hypothesis, experimentation, and results. Like, <laughs> listen, I'm still not over this series called Everworld. <laughs> Where they had a character who was apparently very concerned with science, but through the 12 book series, all he would do is complain about, I don't think this is scientifically possible. I mean, in one episode, he does reinvent the telegraph, which is great. But I mean, no one was trying to test and measure the limits of power in Everworld. No one was trying to like, oh, wow, when I fall asleep here, it takes me an hour to wake up back home. I wonder where the other time goes. Huh? Guess it's not important. And I'm like, it's important. <laughs> 
So I really loved meeting these, uh, these two scientists who they saw their observations, they were curious about it, and then they had a little methodology where they tried two or three other things. But Emily, tell us what we discover about Spren. Um, so she is able to predict things, which I thought was kind of a no-no in their culture, but I wonder if it's just more like if they frown on all prediction or just like fortune slash future telling. So they don't want you to just tell the future out of thin air. Okay. But remember, it's okay to mathematically predict a high storm. But that's iffy. Well, that's, I would say that was iffy for Liren because. Okay. (laughs) Very different from the rest of us, Liren. (laughs) Um, But this reminded me of an actual scientific principle that I vaguely remember from that time I took AP physics trying to impress a boy I had a crush on is that there are specific particles who you have no clue as to where this particle will travel. However, it will never travel to the same place like twice. So by observing it, you can guess where it might go because you can see where it has already been. That's cool. And so this felt a lot along those same lines where she measures a spren and writes it down and then the spren stays the size that she wrote down until she erases the figure and then it begins to change and fluctuate once mm-hmm. more. And she like specifically freezes it in time somehow. Yeah. So she's doing this specifically with flame spren. And the spren will do this with the accurate measurement, even if you write down four or five other measurements. It's like the spren knows which measurement is correct. Which one is theirs. Yeah. Yeah. So Ashir comes in from the kitchen and he's like, okay, we're going to, we're going to check this. I'm going to measure it with your calipers. I'm going to take three measurements in a row and then I will tell you one of, and I'll tell you all three. I'm going to have you only write down one of them. Don't tell me which one you write down. So she, you know, he gives her one measurement, he gives her the other measurement, he gives her the third measurement. She starts to write it down as he says it, and as she writes it down, that's the size that the spren freezes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can't just write down any spren-sized number. You have to measure it and then write it. Hey, Emily, what the heck? What the heck? Because uh, she says they actually, one looks like a person after it mm-hmm. pauses. So has someone written down Sil's measurements and she's frozen as this thing? And if someone erases the measurements, is she going to go back to forgetting who she was? Well, um, so Sil most often appears in the form of a young woman. But remember, she can change oh. into other things. Like a there's, a, there's a bit where she looks like, yeah. <laughs> little ball of light. <laughs> anyway, no. She also changes into like leaves on the wind got it, got it. <laughs> oh no <laughs> i just lost the game okay um so yeah we've we've seemed to have found them at the start of some scientific discovery and they said this will have huge ramifications on our understanding of spren and our understanding of fabrials emily why would that impact our understanding of fabrials i don't know because i thought fabrials were powered by gemstones Hmm. Are there spren gemstones? Like, are there, like, ruby spren and diamond spren? We heard from Cal's mother that everything has a spren. That's true. 
Even dung. Even dung. <laughs> there are spread of dung. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, if you could retire somewhere and do one activity for the rest of your days, what's your reti- what's your dream retirement oh place and your dream retirement activity? My dream retirement... Okay, I am not an avid hiker by any stretch of the imagination. But I love being outside and walking and I don't get to do it very often. And so I think I would want to go somewhere where like I could hike in a beautiful place every day and I often <laughs> go walking. I'd okay. probably want to be on the on the west coast, like in Washington or Oregon, because they have like the ocean and they also have mm-hmm. mountains and I would I would want to I remember there. when we went to PodCon. And you saw <gasps> Oregon. Okay. You we went so, so go ahead. emotionally moved by the fog in the pine trees. I was. I thought you were going to tell the story of me losing my <laughs> <mind>. <laughs> That's the most embarrassed I've ever been in front of someone who is not a member of my own family. Uh, can I tell the podcast? (laughs) So, Emily, I think, only has tickets for one day of PodCon. Was that it? Where you just, you were there for one day, and then we were there for the rest of the Well, I came, I came for a McElroy Brothers, uh, Christmas thing, and you went to PodCon, and I went exploring, yeah. Oh, that was it. You had the, the live show tickets. So, um, I'm there with my amazing friend, Laura, and Laura was fully bedecked as loop from the adventure zone she had like beautiful airbrushed blue makeup and like the red robe the whole the whole shebang and emily was supposed to be picking us up from the convention so center oh my gosh and she missed the turn a couple times to come get to us and then i see her driving along the front and i'm like okay wait for us on the curb we'll come get in the car and emily has stopped at the curb and she's like oh, no. everyone behind me <laughs> Everyone behind me wants me to move. And we're like, oh, and I'm on the phone with her. And I'm like, okay, well, we're almost to the car. And she's like, everyone behind me wants to move. And we're running to get to the car. I'm like, it's okay, Emily, we'll get there. She drives away without us. She just leaves me and my friend on the side of the, on the side of the highway. No, sorry, not the side of the highway, side of the sidewalk. And then she, she turns the corner and Emily is a little freaked out because she's driving in a city she's never driven in before. I have driving anxiety. And so I was like, it's okay. Just turn the corner two more times. Just drive the block and get back to us. And then Emily screams over the telephone, there's no corners. It's a circle. And I was just like, okay, keep following the circle. Until you get back to us. You did good. You still picked us up. I mean, you could have just abandoned us forever. I absolutely lost my mind in front of this poor woman who didn't know me from Eve. I'm just yelling at Megan. And I understand in the back of my head, I am being ridiculous. And I can't stop yelling because I'm so freaked out about driving in this new city. And I... Ugh. I was so embarrassed because she gets in the car. Megan and this and Laura get in the car, and I'm just like, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry." And I'm like, "If if I were Laura, and I was with Megan, 
and someone had done that, I would not feel safe getting into the car with the person who just screamed at me <laughs> on the other end of the car. Oh, yeah. And, and listen, Emily's, Emily's not one to yell. I don't yell. <laughs> she was screaming at me over the phone. So freaked out. Okay, just <laughs> So I'm sorry. <laughs> but you did it. You found us. Oh, y'all, I love PodCon. I miss PodCon. The happiest days of my life were at PodCon. All right. Uh now let's let's bring let's bring the emotion down a couple notches because now we got to talk about Wait. Seth's son, son Valon. Oh, yep. I have a question about okay the Voran religion. Okay. <clears throat> so we know that everything is very like gendered. Men do this, women do this, women mm-hmm. wear this, women write, men do this, blah blah blah. But uh, like there's a there's a little throwaway line in this episode where uh, she was like. She thinks that her friend had joined the Ardentia because he had a sweet sweet tooth. Just mm-hmm. as a little, like, joke. But I was like, what if you don't like the thing you've been assigned to? Hey, wouldn't you know it? Like, doesn't that have parallels with our own real life? <laughs> like, I mean, there's, like, the food. What if you, as a woman, don't like sweet things? I mean, would you know any better because you were, that's all you had growing up? Like, like. Wow. Okay. Okay. I think this is a really great example of the metaphor of a fictional world. If, as you look at it and be like, well, that's ridiculous that women have to like sweet food and men have to like spicy food. Why isn't it something reasonable? Like women have to like pink and men have to like, oh, (laughs) And I think really good fiction presents a alternate reality that makes you question what you've always accepted about your own society and your place in it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, Emily, what what if there are people in our world that don't feel like holding strictly to what's assigned to them when they're born? It's still hard. Yeah. <laughs> And the thing is, like, society changes, too. Like, what is Mm -hmm. socially acceptable or, like, this thing used to make me so mad in in humanitarian classes because we'd be studying the artists. And, like, in Ruben's time, the height of beauty are these large, large figures with, like, folds and, like, fat, you know, and... And they're, they're just, they look like normal, regular people. And then you compare them to, you know, Twiggy in the 60s, which that was considered beautiful then. And just how things shift and change and what is constant and yeah. Yeah. So I think Brandon Sanderson has done a just really good job because remember how, okay. Remember how we're talking about like, we hate it when... Stories are like, I don't want to be a princess. I don't want to be a prince. They're like actively fighting against the thing. But on the other hand, this is also fascinating because people just accept this. And to someone else, like we we learned about different cultures in this book before where like things that other people do, other cultures find weird and bizarre, you know. And I don't know, Brandon Sanderson has just done this really great job of balancing 
absurdity with, you know, everyday life. I don't know. I think it's very good. It's very good. Um, There's a Terry Pratchett quote that's like, it's from Fifth Element. I can't remember the exact phrasing of it, but it's that, oh, we've always done it this way Mm -hmm. is not a good enough excuse to Mm -hmm. keep doing it this way. Oh, I have a real life example. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. We work with, um, we have this one customer in particular that we've worked with for forever. They insist on handwriting out each order and faxing it to us. Oh my. And when we get it, then we have to transpose it into Excel and go through. But if there's anything needs to be changed, we have to fax them back a handwritten, like they are extremely old school. And just the amount of time it takes to work with this one customer on one order, if everything goes perfectly, is absurd. If something mm-hmm. doesn't go right and you have to go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, it takes eight times as long and you lose money on it. But I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Let's just move and grow with the times, you know? Yeah. Do you want to talk about Seth now? I do! That was loud. Sorry. I do. Thank you, Megan. <laughs> Tell me, tell me about your murder boy. Ugh, murder boy. <clears throat> it's called Death Wears White. And I noticed this time around in his little symbol, he's covering his face like he's ashamed. I just feel terrible he's for this boy. He's just an edgelord. <laughs> he's not an edgelord. Okay. <laughs> okay. Quick overview. He has come to the king of Yakaved. With orders to annihilate this place. Like, his masters have given him the instructions. You think the last things you did were bad. You need to make this the most public and the most bloody of all that there could be. So, like, assassinate everyone. Make it a mess. That sort of thing. And as Seth is going through and killing people, he realizes a trap has been placed for him. The king has expected him and so has, like, brought in all of his guards and everything and you know, he ends up getting assassinated. This is the whole, that's the whole overview of the chapter. But at the very beginning, um, like when he arrives, like everyone gets quiet, like it's a feast. There's men and women here. Like there are tons of people here. And in his mind, he goes, I am sorry. Like he's apologizing to all these people who are about to die because um, he's about to kill them, which is what happened in the first time we saw him. They're like, the first chapter he ever shows up in, they're like, what are you? And he's like, I, I'm sorry. That's what I am. Yes, you're waving your hand. Hello. Yes, Megan. Uh, and I think it's an interesting difference that he does say it in the first chapter. And he just keeps it to himself in this, it in this one. Yeah. So we're in Yakived. We're in Shalon's hometown. Um, and in this chapter, we learn a little bit more. The next two chapters, we learn a little bit more about the history of Yakoved and Alethkar because they are the two biggest countries in the world. And we find out, I think we find out in the next chapter, except for maybe the Frostlands, but I'm pretty sure Yakoved is maybe even a nah. Yakoved and Alethkar are neighbors and they are the biggest, biggest kids on the block in the world. And... We find out that each of them have about the same amount of shard blades. They each have about 20 shard blades apiece. The king is rumored to have one. This this chapter is going on. The king is rumored to have one. And I, I my question says, does Shalon have it? 
because at one point in a past chapter, she sits and listens to her heartbeat and like holds her hand out like she's waiting for something. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, no, that's like my greatest shame or whatever. I'm not pulling that up. Mm-hmm. And remind me, Megan, do you have to kill the person holding it or can you be gifted a shard blade? Uh, so we haven't had all the details of what it takes to okay. bond a shard blade yet. So far... Um, we're pretty sure you have to kill somebody. Yeah, all the ones that we know about have their owners have been killed to pass it on to the next mm-hmm. person. Um, however, you don't have to be the person that kills them to take the blade. That's right. We found that out, stupid Amaram. And you mentioned the number, like the sheer number that we have, mm-hmm. that there are really only 20 in all of Alethkar. Mm-hmm. Like when Kaladin comes to the Shattered Plains, he sees these 10 camps of like tens of thousands of people. There are, like, thousands and thousands and thousands of people, and there are only 20 shard blades. So, like, it is rare. It is extremely valuable. It's, like, worth – somebody mentions that it's, like, worth kingdoms. Yeah. And but, here's here's my question is who keeps track of who has one? Because because I would think that record would be corrupt Of mm-hmm. because, you know, the way that Kaladin's was – he won it. It was taken from him, even though, like, he technically mm-hmm. was going to give it up. I don't think anyone knows Shalon has one, you know. What? You don't think it's commonplace for women to have shark blades? <laughs> I do not. <laughs> I do not. I do not. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> so, yeah. Technically, you don't even know if Shalon has I don't one. even know. It hasn't been confirmed yet. But here is where all of my questions start coming out because... Okay. In this chapter, Seth absolutely annihilates people. You said you loved the first chapter of Way of Kings Mm -hmm. where Seth goes and you're like, this is what you would storyboard, blah, blah, blah. This is what you should storyboard is... You know what? It's so funny you say that. I've been thinking about that. Yes! (laughs) It'll come out in six years, people. (laughs) I've been thinking about it because I read this through. Because for one thing, this is a lot shorter. This is a lot shorter than the (laughs) prologue. I've, I, storyboarding is really hard. <laughs> and over pandemic, because I haven't been able to attend life drawing classes and I haven't been able to go out sketching, I have been feeling all of my skills shriveling away and it's making me sad. And I, listen, I am not struggling for work, but it's coming to the end of my current job. And I've been applying to lots of other places and I haven't heard back yet. And it's because I'm using my same portfolio from two years ago. But I'm too tired to make any new storyboards. (laughs) And I can't use stuff from my job because... It's copyrighted. It's, yeah. And, you know, spoilers, man. And so I've been, I've been thinking. And I have this, I have this post-it note over my bed that says, Wicked. Disney style, the adventure zone, mob psycho style, and the way of Kings attack on Titans. <laughs> and I just, oh no, no, way of Kings is Prince of Egypt style. So it's like character style, Prince of Egypt, action camera style, attack on Titan. If I had boundless time and energy, here are all the Cosmere scenes I would like to storyboard. Mm-hmm. One, the prologue to the way of Kings. Two, this scene. Three, there's a bit in part four (laughs) that we'll get to later. And there's a fight scene 
in uh, Words of Radiance. Ooh. In the, there's a fight scene, and I think you guys know what I'm talking about. I don't, though. Emily doesn't, <laughs> but there's a scene. Oh, so the, that's what I want, that's what I would like to accomplish from the Stormlight Archives. Mistborn, I would like to do one, Kelsier versus the Inquisitor. Two, Kelsier and Vin on the roof talking about Reen. Three, Vin versus the Inquisitors at Credit Shaw when she and Kelsier try to break in in the first book. And then four, the scene between Vin and that one special Inquisitor, spoiler light, the scene between Vin and that one special Inquisitor and the 13 other Inquisitors <laughs> in book three. And then Warbreaker, I would like to do, and this isn't action and stuff, but the scene where Ciri first sees the God King in the daylight, I would like to do. Spoilers. I would like to do a lot of Warbreaker, actually. I, I haven't read like all of it. I would, well, I'd like to do all of it. <laughs> uh, but listen, wanting and doing are two different things, but maybe someday. <laughs> Keep an eye out. Nice. Yeah. Um, Seth goes, it's insane what he does. He is throwing people to the ceiling. He's throwing tables to the to door frame so people can't get out he's because he has inhaled so much stormlight like he feels like he's going to explode he's never never done this sort of thing before he's you know touching cutlery on the table that's like flinging itself at other people and just it is it is a work of art what he is doing because no one can touch him absolutely mm -hmm. no one can touch him and mm -hmm. all of a sudden this is the first time i thought this because listen guys when i read something i just accept this is how it is you know, mm -hmm. like when you're when you're reading a book and it's like this person shows up, you're like, great, this is who they are. So when I first read Seth, I'm like, great, this is what he does. But now I'm just going like, who taught him how to fight? Who created Seth? Who are his parents? Who are his grandparents? Because I know like he didn't want his dad to find out what he was doing. But he's like, my grandfather wouldn't be surprised or something. Well, I don't know. I think through context clues, uh, we know his grandfather's name. Which was, you got this, Emily. Villano. Yeah. Because it's Seth, son, son, Villano. If it was just Seth, son, name, then that would be his dad's name. Yeah. Yeah. And I cracked a joke in our early episode that I don't think my father, son, Villano, would be too pleased to hear about this. But <laughs> Villano's not his dad's name so far in the book we've been able to tell. Yeah. Um, Is he married? Does he have a secret wife? Does Seth have a secret waifu? <laughs> Who Brandon hasn't told me about yet because that's what Brandon does. Okay, so, and yeah, I have more questions. Emily, oh, oh, I just want to say that I love that you can see the level, like, it's like Seth has leveled up a ridiculous yes, amount. He has. Uh, since we first saw him in the prologue. And I don't, oh. I don't know. It's if been. <laughs> go for it. You pointed at me and said, go ahead. <laughs> kind of excited. Because he's been doing this all over. So we, we, you're right. Who taught him how to fight initially? I'm not sure. He certainly hasn't gone back to anyone for training that we've been made aware. Mm -hmm. I think it's just the fact that he 
just gets to use his abilities all the time. All it's the just time. rocketed him up in skill. Yeah. Ferocity. And so I'm realizing, like, because he's lashing stuff, and I don't know if that is something you are born with or if that is, like, a, a, like a mastery after studying for so many years. You learn how to, like, get hit with bricks and not, like, bleed internally, you know? Mm-hmm. And so here's... <laughs> what? How to get hit with bricks and not bleed into No, there's like a guide by Valana. No, so there's like there's like monks who like study this thing where they can like get hit. Megan, it's a real thing. I know, I just Our title should be how to get hit with bricks. So I'm curious if this is something he was born with or something he was mm-hmm. taught, because basically he's Jackie Channing it all up in here. Mm-hmm. And here is where I'm seeing, I feel, is kind of the unraveling of Seth. Because he mm-hmm. realizes at one point he's not even thinking about the stone. Which is something that he did a bunch in the in the beginning of the book. And I'm just like, if his ideals are unraveling, this uh, makes him... Ideals, you say? <laughs> this makes him extremely dangerous. Because he has been holding on so closely to, this is who I am, this is what I do. Even if he hates it. And so I'm wondering if he became truthless, if someone forced him to become truthless because they thought he might become too powerful to be left to his own devices and therefore needed to be controlled. And then, I leaned back so I could yell, is this his curse? Did he go to the Night Sisters (gasps) or the Night Watcher? To request to become the most powerful whatever in all the land. And is this his curse that he cannot use his gift the way he wants to do it? And if the stone slash having a master is his curse. Uh-huh. Huh. Huh. That's my question. That's a good question. Thank you. So, all right. Yeah, because she gives you what you think you deserve. And she would give Seth this power and then a curse to go with it and yeah that he can't use it for himself the oath stone yeah yeah Ooh. did you write that down i did i did write that down okay there's also this great bit so they have the king has shard bearers come out to fight this you know fight seth and everything and seth is just like mm-hmm. on the inside absolutely torn up because he's been killing yes i want to point out the New technology we see, some half-shard shields. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did it, who mentioned that earlier? Was it, was it Dalinar or Navani or somebody? Uh, I think it was something Navani was bringing up that she's like, Sadius has something called a shard bow, and it's just a bow with gemstones in it that if you're a shard bearer, you can pull it back farther and stuff. Did we see that Um, already? Yeah, he uses it during the Chasm Fiend fight. Okay. I think. (laughs) Listen, I'm pretty sure. I have a terrible memory, so we might have already listened to it already. I'm going to check now. Okay. Because uh, Renarin runs out. Renarin runs out onto the Chasm Fiend fight field, field yeah. without anything. Yeah. And, and Sadius stays back with his. Sadius stays back and just uses his giant shard bow for the hunt. Here we go. I'm just scanning for the name Sadius on these pages. Okay, behind them, Sadius called for his grand bow. Okay, so it's not a shard bow. My bad. My bad. But um, Navani did talk to Dalinar about, make, oh, we're, we're so close to making shards. And Dalinar's like, 
really? That's not, that's not a, like, that's it's not got a thing. gemstones in it, but that doesn't make it a shark. Yeah. Yes, so Seth is taking everyone out, and he is so angry and upset that he has to kill all these people that he says he finds himself being irrationally angry at the king of Yaqoved for inviting all these people. Like, he knows. He's like, it's not, it's not all these people's fault that they got invited to this dinner party, and he's going on and on about, like, how upset he is that the king had chosen this night of all night to have a feast until the king basically says like haha we've laid a trap for you and seth realizes he can turn all of his anger to the king because this is the king's fault for real is it though now listen i think it's a coping mechanism for seth okay i i i don't agree with his logic but i think that's how he's dealing with having to kill all of these people because it is a massacre yeah so in the prologue Seth mentioned something about how it's not a sword's fault if a sword kills people. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're just a tool to be used. And so Seth sees himself as a tool being used by his master. And Seth is like, it's technically not my fault these people are dying because I have to kill them. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's not Seth's fault. (laughs) Someone else's responsibility. There's this one part that I thought was hilarious. It was... And I don't think it was meant to be, but it's one of the shard bears that is coming after Seth. And the red shard bear turned just as the massive infused rock fell toward him, moving with 20 times the normal acceleration of a falling stone. It crashed into him, shattering his breastplate, spraying molten bits in all directions. The block hurled him across the room, crushing him against the far wall. He did not move. Like, it's almost overkill. Everything Seth is doing is complete overkill and theatrical. Yeah. He, and I wonder if he had been asked to just go assassinate someone. This doesn't feel like Seth's style. It feels like he is fulfilling his master's order to the very best of his ability in a way that he does not want to do. Two points of interest. As the king is running, ten heartbeats, Seth thought, returned to me. You creature of damnation. I was I wrote down Seth doesn't like his Stormblade question mark. And you were asking stuff wait, no, Ted was asking stuff. Never mind. <laughs> uh shout out to Ted, who's just finished uh the first book, Way of Kings, and he's diving into a launcher's next. Um, it's very exciting because he really loved the first Stormlight so much, he's like, I'm gonna read the whole Cosmere. And he's been messaging me thoughts and questions and things, and it's great. And Emily some of your theories and Ted's theories have aligned. <gasps> I'm not going to tell you which ones. Dang it. Okay, fine. Yeah. Oh, um, I wanted to also point something out. As Seth is fighting these shard bearers, they, it said, uh, Seth was too quick, too limber. The shard bearers didn't work together. They were accustomed to dominating a battlefield or dueling with a single enemy. Their powerful weapons made them sloppy. And part of the attack is that Seth uses a a new sort of technique, which is just your hands and no shard blade. So he is a master of multiple... Hand-to-hand combat. Yes, yes. And so he is frightening. He is not someone to be, like, messed with. Weapon, yeah, weapon arts and martial arts. Yeah. And then my, my second point is just the end of the chapter where the king is like, what are you? Because in 
again, back to the prologue, the guys were like, what are you? And Seth says, what am I? I am sorry. This time, the king says, what are you? What does Seth say? Death. That's just it. Just one word. And then he, like, drives his sword into the king's face. (laughs) What's happening to Seth? And now we're in, you know, forget Seth. No, stop! I know, stop! No, stop! What's going to happen to Seth? Will someone please save him? I don't know. Megan! I guess you'll have to wait till the next chunk no! of the book. Does he show up at all in this book anymore? I can't I'm look not ahead. Going no, to tell, tell you. me! No. Ted, tell me. Does he? <laughs> Ted can't hear Dang you. <laughs> this episode is coming out six months after <laughs> we recorded. <laughs> Hopefully nothing keeps us from podcasting and reading this. Hey, listen, I would rather do this all the time, but no, we have to do Roswell. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I guess you're going to have to wait till the next set of interludes. Fine. And see. But he's reliably showed up in every set of interludes so far. So So far. But Brandon also doesn't tell me when people are married. That's not true. And you gotta let it go. I will not. Okay, you were surprised that Cal and Tien had a mother, even though they're an alive mother, an alive mother. Okay, and then that the king of the nation in his early thirties has a wife. Yeah, that's twice. There's only two. And then Dalinar has a mystery, a mystery wife. Adolin has no wife. He. That, okay, so that disproves your theory because Adolin doesn't have a secret wife. He has no wife. But because he's so bad at dating. But Brandon Sanderson told me that. And he forgot to tell me the other times and I had to find out about it. Listen, I think you're I think you're making a, a lot of uh, light, but there's no heat to your argument. <laughs> so let's get into part four of Storm's Illumination mm-hmm. with our Dad and our narrators. So the narrators for part four will be Dalinar, Kaladin, Adolin, and Navani. I missed that. Ooh, Navani is gonna be good talked about it in our last episode but that was two months ago for us but yeah uh before we jump into this you thought that seth was the one who had been to the night watcher yes what would drive kaladin to find the night watcher i think to see if he could bring tian back to life if that was possible all right shalon okay um here's the thing i don't know about shalon because short term she needs the fabriel to work but I almost feel like she... Oh, wait. She's super arrested right she's now. She's super arrested right now. So I don't know if she is a short-term thinker or a long-term thinker. Because right now it's just has only shown her as short-term as go find... I mean, even though it's taken her a long time. Go find Yasna Kalin, get the thing, get the Fabriel from her, and return back home. That there's not really a plan past that. Because she's still like coming up with it on the fly of... How am I supposed to get this to work? All those sort of mm-hmm. things. So I don't know if her wish would be a short-term wish or a long-term wish. What do you think it would be? Well, I know things I that know you, you don't. Know Why would Yasna go to the Night Watcher? Oh, I think she would go. I think she would ask for your wish. Perfect recall. 
on um, everything. Yeah, to know to be nice. a true Veritasalian. Nice. Tell me about the Colins, Dalinar, Adolin, Renarin. Oh, Adolin's would probably be something silly, but would feel very important to him. Not silly, but like, you know, not like, frivolous. yeah, not like peace for the kingdoms. It might be a little frivolous. Um, Dalinar's. Okay, here's my theory. I think Dalinar went already. I think Seth went and I think Dalinar went because they talk okay. about, they talk about it at one point, but they don't say whether or not he's gone. Uh-huh. Um, but they talk about the old magic because Dalinar thinks that his visions may be part of the old magic and they're like have you been there before? But he doesn't say anything, but it almost feels like he went to get something and the price was to forget his wife. I thought that was something he might've done on purpose, but now this seems more like a true curse of like, you're not going to remember this woman that you had kids with or anything. I don't know if it was the love of his life. Um, I don't know if he married her just to get over Navani. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Like, do you know What? What? Dalinar. <laughs> <laughs> so I that's that's my other theories. I think Seth is that. He Seth went and I think Dalinar went. I don't know what he All would right. have asked for though. Um my last question is Renarin. Because I would forgot think, about him. Shut I did aside, I like did no. I would not forget about him because I feel very strongly that I love this boy as well. Really? How come? How come? Because when I listed Adolin, Dalinar, and Renarin, you just forgot Renarin at the end. I didn't. I was getting to him. I. (laughs) You are putting words in my mouth, and you're making me look bad in front of everybody. It's nice. You're so excited. You've been yelling a lot this podcast. I think he would go and ask to be healed so he wouldn't have his fits anymore because mm-hmm. I think I think he really does want to go onto the battlefield and it's not a thing of like oh if only I could I'd show everyone I think he really genuinely wants to go and be a part of of the war and everything um but Dalinar is doing a really good job of like because he sends Renarin off at one point to go gather reports about the high storms or whatever and he's like this kid has to get used to doing this sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Dalinar is, I think, an excellent parent and is helping his children feel included however they best can. Also, remind me awesome. what Renarin has again. We talked about this at one point. It was, like, insinuated yeah. that... I, I told you because you guessed it. They haven't said it in the books yet, but Renarin has epilepsy. Okay, got it. Yeah, so his fits would be epileptic seizures. Got it, got it. <laughs> okay, um, How dare you insinuate that I forgot him? How dare you? I'm really <laughs> upset about that. I love this okay. family. You know how in the first half of this podcast we're like, I'm so sick of characters who are like, I don't want to be a princess anymore. I wrote that in my notes. Adolin Kalin says, I don't want to be high <laughs> I put, I don't want to be a pie. I don't like gravy. <laughs> All right, Emily. I'm going to let you lead the discussion on this chapter because apparently you've taken a lot of notes. I did. I took a lot of notes. My first note is the epigraph of this chapter. Uh, So the epigraph of the chapter says, I'm standing over the body of a brother. I'm weeping. Is that his blood or mine? What have we done? And uh, it talks about it was was from an out-of-work Vedan sailor. And I was wondering 
I don't think that's literally a brother. I think it's more like a brother in arms or a brother in common. And I'm wondering if it has to do with the heralds of the people that got left behind in the beginning because it seems like there was a schism amongst them and that that what's his face who's who's the red swath of stars across the sky named for town town i think this is connected to him somehow that he came back and was upset and started a war and oh yeah i really hope that's yeah. not the case but i really hope he's yeah. also still not in hell so the ones we met at the beginning Tom was left behind in hell, mm -hmm. and then Gizeraza waited for Kalak mm -hmm. at the end of the battle. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that's what I thought it might be referring to. Yezrian. 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 Modern day, he's called Yezeraza, but he was Yezrian back It's then. not Jezrian. It's not? <laughs> <laughs> I thought about bringing it up, but you told me, you're like, you apologize for that. You for like do, you do, you do. Row. You're fine. You're fine. Everybody knows. All right. Hey, so Dalinar is like, hey, I'm not going to be High Prince anymore. Yeah. And, and Adolin literally tells his father, that is insane. And Dalinar says, well, that's appropriate because apparently that's what I am. Because Adolin and Dalinar had a fight where Adolin's just like, dad, you're crazy. Like, these visions aren't real, all of this stuff. And, and Adolin is now <laughs> realizing the conversation he had with his dad has helped his dad make the decision to not be high prince anymore and now adolin is backtracking hard he's like uh, i i oh this was a mistake i should not have done this <laughs> yeah. he spoke in the heat of heat of the moment and, uh. and so they're talking about what's going to happen once he because he hasn't announced anything yet that this is going to happen and adolin's like i don't want to do your job and Dalinar's kind of like, you can't have it both ways. Just because you might have some problems doesn't mean you have to abdicate. <laughs> yeah, Adolin is trying his very best to be like, no, Dad, I I didn't mean it like that. Um. So Dalinar's current plan is to head back to Kolinar and help Elokar's secret wife. <laughs> um, and be useful fighting against the border incursions. Perhaps the Reishi... And the Vadens. But how do the Reishi get all us. the way down there? Because they're little tiny islands at the top of the map. What what danger could they possibly pose? Does Alethkar have any... Sorry, I'm trying to remember the map from memory. Alethkar doesn't have a northern coast, does it? It's Yakovet up there. Yeah, the, the Alethi... So, yeah, Yakovet is the one with the... Oh, unless there... So it's... There's the ocean, and then there's Yakoved, and that leads into Alethkar. But I'm wondering if he's worried if Yakoved and Reshi join forces. Oh, that would make sense. Because then Reshi could, like, bring in supplies. Because Alethi's pretty landlocked. You can't yeah, really get to it. In, yeah. The southern, yeah. The southern and the northern, the northern are both exposed to the water. But, I mean, that's a long way around. Yeah. Okay. So the, the Reshi may be... Uh, attacking the coastal area on the northern side is what i was thinking okay the north coast thank you and so downers made his decision and he's sitting there and and brandon has written like contemplating his own madness like that was like 
this line that made me stop and kind of go, oh, like, you know, he's not, this is not something he's ignoring, but he, a high storm is coming. And so he's, they're in the safety of, I don't know, their tent or whatever. And he has his sons tie him to a chair and he has a vision again. And I like this about Dalinar because he has kind of accepted these visions as a tool, a teaching tool. And he doesn't understand them. So he is doing everything he can to figure out where he is and what's going on. So like when he's, when he kind of like comes to, he's in the body of this other soldier and he's like, oh, well, they have steel tipped weapons, but they have bronze helmets. And so like he's trying to place historically where this is happening. And I love that he's looking for clues. He's cluing for looks. Cluing for looks. You you do it. Yes. One of the things is the men are talking about how there's eight weeks of winter and it's been forever. Meg, remind me, I feel like we've talked about this a little bit, but how do the seasons work and how do the years work? Because like we have four seasons a year, but it fe- I would think that they would have like 19 seasons a year. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, a year is still a loop around the sun. That's okay. what that means. Okay. But the seasons are shorter, but they come in different orders okay um and i think it's more based off of high storm activity Mm -hmm. than it is like how our tilts our earth tilts along the axis Um, like it brings in different cold fronts and warm fronts and stuff yeah and so you can have eight weeks of winter ten weeks of spring two weeks of summer like don't cite me on those numbers but um it's not like game of thrones world where we can have winter that lasts for decades Mm mm-hmm how would people eat, George? <laughs> you can have it, you know, maybe vacillate between autumn and winter uh, too many times. And so it's like hard to get stuff planted. Yeah. Um, so I, I believe you can't chart out a long amount of seasons at once. Mm-hmm. But I, I think you're able to like determine what will be coming next. I have a word of Brandon about how the seasons work. So our world, the seasons are influenced by our extreme axial tilt of our Earth. Mm -hmm. However, Roshar has little to no axial tilt, so it doesn't have seasonal variation like this. The seasons that are mentioned are more like like a translational effect. So here's the word of Brandon from it, and this is from Writing Excuses Season 9, Episode 23. One of the things that the person brought up is that in the Stormlight Archives, we have a planet without axial tilt, and seasons don't happen in the way we imagine them on our planet. To them, when the season happens is, oh, it got cold for a little while. It's winter now for a few weeks. Then when it's not cold anymore, it is not winter, and now we're calling it spring. This is a translation effect that I put that I said, how am I going to get this across? Well, to a person speaking English, they would call winter the cold time. So I'm going to translate that. What they say, you know, this cold patch is winter. At first he did this so it would feel like jarring and then he made it incidental. Um, It is not a plot point. I made it just something they talk about when they say, oh, it looks like winter is going to be here for a few weeks. I hope that spring comes again in a couple of weeks. When it does, they're like, oh, good. When it lapses back into winter, people who are paying attention will be like, this is bizarre. I don't understand this, but this is how it works. <laughs> so it's it's like what you said, Emily, that it's really based off of what the high storms come through. And I absolutely feel 
that this was influenced by Brandon living in Utah. (laughs) It'll get nice around March or April, and then it'll just snow again in May. And it's like, (laughs) come on, let it go. Okay, thank you for explaining that. He's trying to also get more hints and stuff, and he... I had, a, I had a thought because I, it seems to me that he is actually physically inhabiting someone else's body. He's not sharing their conscience. He's not watching stuff unfold. He has control over this body and its voice and its movements and everything. I'm wondering, where does that person's soul go? Does it go into Delinar's body? Do they literally do a Freaky Friday? Oh. Is there a word of Brandon about that one? Not that I would tell you. Dang the book hasn't told you what these visions are. But I I have you. Why would I tell you what the visions are? I don't know. I know I confirmed that you did guess Renarin had <laughs> epilepsy, but I feel that's much smaller than <laughs> what are these visions Dalinar's been having for the last 1,200 pages. Oh. So Dalinar has, you know, he's trying to figure out all this stuff, and he's making these really interesting observations Um based on his soldier's experience because he's on like a guard tower and he realizes like people aren't really paying attention to what's going on. And he's like, that's why there's so many of us up here because someone's going to notice something with this amount of people up there rather than having anyone like standing at attention and watching. And it talks about how like he anticipates this fight that's coming and he still has a warrior heart, even if like his body is not, you know, as young or spry as it once was, he still Mm -hmm. loves the fight and the call or whatever, because he knows something's going to happen. He's like, they, these visions don't send me to times of peace. They send me to times of uprising and stuff like that. Uh uh He realizes this is, is it called the reckoning? What's it called? Uh, the recreants. The recreants. Oh, wait, time out. Listen. I'm listening. I guessed something. And uh-huh. I said, because he's, like I said, he's trying to figure out where he is. And I'm like, you need a scholar's help. Hmm, who do you know that's a scholar, Delinar? Could it be your niece, you know, Yasna? Could it be that you should team up with her? And I wrote, <laughs> Delinar and Yasna need to team up for research. And then I got excited. I said, that's how Shalon and Adolin will meet. <laughs> that's my guess. Never because later on, later on, <laughs> later on, later um, on, that's what uh, Renarin and Adolin and Navani suggest is that they write Yasna to see if she has any insight into this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is this is the day of reckoning where the not the registrars, the recreants, <laughs> the recreants abandon humankind because they see that someone is coming. Oh, and it's the this, radiance. The radiance. Sorry, I we were we were at cross purposes. Sorry, I was I had something wrong. Okay, um, the radiance because there is a line of two hundred of these um, shard plate and shard blade holding people, women and men, all different races in a line of. They think there's two hundred of them who are like running at this castle, this fever dream castle. What's it called? Uh, Feverstone Keep. Feverstone Keep. And everyone's getting very nervous because it's, it's their, the Radiants are supposed to be helping them. They're supposed to be on the front lines fighting some war. We don't know what war yet. And this line of 200 fully armed people in these basically magical, you know, suits of armor racing towards this keep. They stop and form a line. Hi, Copper. 
and then oh. another hundred fall from the sky and join them and like do the superhero pose and everything. So like I said, these another hundred people fall from the sky. And my question is, can they travel like, I mean, if you have a shard blade, you have to wait 10 heartbeats and it appears out of nothing. Can the radiance travel and go where the shard blades go? Because where do shard blades go in between usage? Yeah, and, and why were some of them on the ground and some of them in the sky? Yeah, but basically they've all come together and one by one stick their swords in the ground, remove their shard plate, and turn and walk away and abandon the cause. And one by one, like, Delinar has already, like, run out there and is, like, trying to, like, where are you going? Why did you do this? You know, he's trying to get as much information as possible. And I love the image of this moment of just, like, these silent shard bearers. Because Delinar would be in the the body of, you know, a a man out of armor. Yeah. And then you've got these towering shard plates, you know, warriors around him. And I just love the visual of Dalinar like running to each of them, being like, "What are you doing? Is is this the day you left us? Is this the day of the recreants? Why?" None of them answered. It was as if he didn't exist. Okay, and this part, this part made me a little sad because I felt like in his previous visions, they were the radiants were happy to help. They were happy to protect. They were like. Oh, yes, just call on us when you need aid, friend, sort of a thing. But here, they've left everything behind. And what is the very first thing that happens with everyone there? All the men from the keep come running out because there's there's a field of 300 shard blades for the taking. And people start killing each other for them. The very first thing that happens is mob mentality. And I was just like, no wonder these people, like, quit. But I was very Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> but it just made me sad that, I mean, it's 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 a phenomenon that's very well documented, like mob mentality, that sort of thing. Yeah. But oh, it just makes me sad to see, like sometimes that's what stuff gets boiled down to is, well, everybody else was doing it, so I did it too, and it just made it. I mean, it made it more. It it made their exit make more sense. Like, these people are not worth fighting for. It just made me really sad. But, also, again, 300 shard blades. Is that all that's in the entire world? Like, how did they get passed around? Like, where did they all go? Hey, Emily. Can they be lost? Yes, Megan. I have some clues for you to context. Okay. Okay, you ready? Ready. Um, So, when he hears the messenger giving the leader... So... The leader has dark brown eyes, too. And Dalinar's like, what? Oh, yeah. Says, it's the Order of Stone Wards, my lord, and a large number of wind runners, all on foot. As they drew closer, Dalinar could see their plate was unpainted, but it glowed either blue or amber at the joints. And then we're fast forwarding a little more. And the leading radiance stopped in a line. Others began to fall from the sky. They hit with the sound of rock cracking, puffs of stormlight blossoming from their figures. These all glowed blue. So we have two kinds of radiance out here on the field. We have storm wards and wind runners. One of them is glowing amber. One of them is glowing blue. I feel like we've only seen the blue one so far. And so you're asking, is this all the radiance that there are? 
However, Dalinar has some knowledge. Can't find it exactly in the book, but I'm going to quote it as best as I can. There were two orders of radiance present. What happened to the other eight? Yeah. So, how many different types of radiance are there? Mm-hmm. Eight. How many? Sorry, eight. Sorry. Nope. Ten. Yes. <laughs> like you said I'd never two? have to guess that again. <laughs> yeah. The answer wasn't eight. It was ten. <laughs> okay, here we go. Uh, it's on my page 870, but what were they fighting and why had they stopped? Two orders of knights were mentioned, Dalinar thought, but there were ten orders. What of the other eight? Now, Emily... Mm-hmm. At the end of each of Dalinar's visions, the same voice that speaks to him in each vision takes someone over to give him some answers to his questions. Yeah. So, what does Dalinar learn from this voice? So the voice says they are the first, and I don't know if he's talking about the people who are running out to take the swords, or if these are the first of the Radiants who abandoned them. Uh -huh. um, but uh, Dalinar says, is this? Oh, he says, they were the first and they were also the last. So are there Radiants out there still? It's <sighs> the worst. Dalinar asks if this is the Day of Recreants. Uh, the Radiant said, these events will go down in history. They will be infamous. You will have many names for what happened here. And Dalinar's just like, why? Why? Please tell me. This is, I feel a kinship <laughs> to Dalinar because I'm like, Meg, tell me, tell me. And he's like. Uh, I feel you are, feel especially close to Dalinar at this moment. Then answer my questions, Dalinar said. <laughs> Read the book. <laughs> the book? The Way of Kings? That's literally what Dalinar says. <laughs> Please, voice, answer my questions. Rafo. <laughs> so, yeah. And so he's just watching. The, the vision ends with him watching everyone hack each other to pieces over getting a sword. I yep. hate it. Thanks. I hate it. Sheesh, Louise. So... Uh, and then Dalinar wakes up. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I have one more very important thing. Mm -hmm. These shard blades glow until the men take them up and they start killing each other with them. Mm -hmm. The glow from within the weapons had completely vanished. <gasps> Are they not supposed to? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how the magic works. You really don't. I don't. Okay. <laughs> I noticed something. Okay. So Dalinar comes back to himself. He's like, you can untie me. And they have this philosophical almost debate about if it's real, if it's not, how do we prove it? How do we not? So they're, sci they're scientific here. But Dalinar says, I could be mad or they could be supernatural without being of the Almighty. How could that happen? Adolin said, frowning. The old magic, Renarin said, softly still sitting. And that made me really sad because... I feel like he would only know that because he was maybe looking for a way to, like, fix something about his life, mm -hmm. his epilepsy, you know? And so he, of course, yeah. would know about this. And, oh. But here's another question. They call it the old magic. What is considered new magic? Uh, I feel, you know, like we would, we would call history the old days. Okay. So anything current is... Not old. Yeah. Okay. Although sense. I don't think they consider, I don't think they consider Stormlight magic. I think they consider it a resource and a technology. Okay. Megan. Yep. Listen to me. 
I'm listening. What? Adolin said pointedly. The old magic is a myth. Unfortunately, it is not, Dalinar said. I know this for a fact. Father, Renarin said, for the old magic to have affected you, you'd have to have traveled to the west and seek it, wouldn't you? Yes, he said ashamed. And then it talks about the empty place in his memories where his wife had once existed. Okay. So why did it, oh, was that his curse or was that his boon? Did he go specifically know. to be like, I can't stand it anymore. Please take these memories or, hey, we need something. I wonder if that, I don't know. Oh, there's so many questions. But he hasn't wow. told his kids. His kids don't know he can't remember it in his own. Ugh. His kids don't know he erased their mom from his memory. Ooh. Sounds like somebody needs to rape <laughs> So this is all coming together. I love this about Brandon Sanderson, the way that he introduces little pieces of information from the interludes that come and play a huge part in the main character's lives rather than getting the main characters to info dump to us we get this really cool introduction from other people who don't really have a connection and it's just really cool so yeah they decide he needs to write down the stuff he saw so that it can be fresh and they're like well who do we trust because he doesn't uh delinar doesn't want any of his officers wives to do this because he doesn't want this to get out because he thinks women's are gossips rude but he does at least trust Navani to write stuff down and not say anything. And Megan, what I wouldn't give to see if there were any footnotes on Navani's writing because description. Yes, yeah. because if you guys remember, women make notes at the bottom like, hey, this is what he really said, but I I wrote it like this to either sound more like in the style of this or whatever. But the men it's an unspoken rule that the men do not know that there are these like footnotes i just wonder what navani would have written because she does come oh, and go- and write She'll stuff be like, down uh dallin are so hot Does he know how hot he is <laughs> because he she tries to do a potiphar's wife sort of a thing where okay okay whoa 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 whoa, whoa. step back her husband is dead and his wife is no longer in the picture. This is not a cause Does of temptation that mean, and adultery. No, stop. Does that mean she's dead or just forgotten? Oh, uh, you can't no, tell no, no, me. No. I can tell you. Oh. I, uh, Navani mentioned something about her in the feast when Dalinar goes to the feast. And he can't even hear her say the name. Mm-hmm. So how does he know she's dead or alive? Sec, I gotta pull out my, I gotta pull out my other volume of my leather bounds. Ooh, here's a nice picture of Dalinar and Navani from volume one. Hey! I love it. Okay, Stormwinds, but she's beautiful, beautiful and deadly. Am I that much of a threat, Dalinar? There's a minute where she mentions his wife. My wife. When is it? But yeah, her, they, Navani mentions her by name, and it's just, 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 just. Dalinar, like, can't even hear it. It's just, like, the sound of rushing wind. Okay. Is she alive? No. Is that... Is that... Something that the book has told us? Or is this something that Megan's telling Emily? I'm, like, 90% sure the book has said it. So I am still calling this as... Navani is making Dalinar very uncomfortable. And he tells her to leave. And she gets really mad about it. Come on. It was at, like, a feast night. It's ridiculous. It's taking forever. <laughs> but I'm gonna find it. What does she? When does? She, 
Uh, come on, Emily. Why is this is so frustrating to me? <sighs> me too, Copper. Me too. <laughs> you could hear that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's sitting on the floor. He's really mad that I haven't done anything with him today. Uh, see, that the thing is, I know uh, vaguely where it is in the one book volume, but this has been split into two parts. <laughs> Listen. Mm-hmm. They've talked about her. Uh, <laughs> it's making me so mad. We've only sat here for five minutes. Shut up. <laughs> it's got to be in this feast scene. Fool, you're... Okay, 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 okay. Gosh. Whew. So on page... 384 of the Leatherbound version, volume one. Uh, it says, Fool, Dalinar thought, tearing his eyes away from her. Your brother's widow. With Gavilar dead, Navani was now to be treated as Dalinar's sister. Besides, what of his own wife? Dead these ten years. Maybe just dead to him. Wiped from his mind by his foolishness, even though he couldn't remember her, he should honor her. Maybe she's still alive. Okay, hold on to that. <laughs> Ugh, that took forever. It did take forever. <laughs> okay, yeah, and so Navani's trying to flirt with him. She is like, again, like, we're alone together. <laughs> he's like, let me call people in so this isn't like inappropriate and she's like whatever do you mean navani you are my sister and she's like okay no we're not (laughs) uh and she says we aren't related by blood in some kingdoms a union between us would be mandated by tradition once your brother died we aren't in other countries this is alethkar there are rules (laughs) so it's one rule that you can't marry your brother's wife uh yeah so in their eyes your brother's wife counts as your sister got it okay she's like can't you just relax just for a little while okay so here's here's a question i also have sorry guys you're getting a lot of questions today she's like can't you just relax just for a little while and he's like no i have to be the example and if i were to go back on this i would be nothing more than a hypocrite and it says she freezes and i wonder if that's a throwback to some conversation they had years ago about being a hypocrite because she takes it very badly and leaves after that yeah she doesn't like getting yelled at doesn't like being called a hypocrite but 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 she never uh she would never know how much he wished her to have made one more objection in his state he likely would have been unable to argue further Oh, Dalinar. Do you want her to respect your personal boundaries or do you not, man? (laughs) Why don't you make up your mind? How dare you yell at me? (laughs) That brings us to the end of today's reading. Today's reading is done. We're we're into part four. Part four, part four, part four. four. All right, so next week we are going to be reading chapter 53, Dunny. Okay. Chapter 54, Giblitish. What? Chapter 55, An Emerald Brome. And chapter 56, That Storming Book. Ooh. 
I'm anticipating a couple Kaladin and a Shallan, and then we'll end with a Dalinar. There's no Shallan in this section. No! I think you told me that already, though. <laughs> Dang it. Uh, yeah, it, it it's Kaladin every time so far, but it's been alternating Shallan and Dalinar. Okay. And so she's just going to sit she's in. She's going to be in prison. Hospital jail for a while. <laughs> oh, we're getting so close. All right. Well, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap us on out. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning into the Way of Kings. From my sister made me view it. Uh, we appreciate and love all of you. And hey, if you find it in your heart, leave leave us a review. We're barreling down the road. We're getting. Oh, we're, 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 I'm so excited to read this book. But until then. I have to get back to doing my storyboards. I have to get back to doing my book. It's due in three weeks. Yikes. Well, do you know what? I believe in you. I believe in you. Ready? Break. break. You guys can't see this right now, but I'm recording on the floor, and uh, Emily's laughing at my pose. I look like a showgirl lying atop a piano, <laughs> except I'm lying atop a towel on a wet spot on the floor because I kicked over my own water bottle because that's the kind of graceful person I am. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode covering the Way of Kings. Catch us a week from today on thursday march 11th uh where we will be doing our next roswell episode <laughs> you guys i mean the 10th and also it's finally happened we've run out of buffer no, don't tell them that. we've run out of buffer on roswell but hey it lasted us like for eight months of posting yeah. so we'll, we'll get a buffer back don't worry we'll, we'll get a buffer back and then catch us the following Thursday, March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, St. Patrick's Day uh, for our next Way of Kings. Special thanks to Michael Biancardi for the use of his song, A Passing Storm, for our intro and outro. And thank you to you, all of our wonderful, lovely listeners. Every time you message us or every time you read and review us or i've got shout out to my discord friends i really appreciate you appreciate i appreciate you all for listening okay i gotta go oh really quick announcement we are on uh, apple itunes we are i'm on the one making the announcements emily just put us up on google play oh emily figured out how to put us up on google play which is great because she asked me to google how to do it and i did not <laughs> I have been supremely unpodcast helpful for like two weeks. Okay, that happens. Yep. Bye. <laughs> You're not gonna tell them where they can find us. You just told them on Instagram. Twitter, you can Instagram. find us on Instagram, Twitter, and <laughs> You can find us on social media at sis made me view it. All one word. All one word. Good job. There we go. You guys are great. We believe in you. I believe in everything, all of the time. <laughs>